This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for May 7, 2023. The title of the message is Rejoicing in the Lord. Good morning. It is always a uh, pleasure and, and, a, and a privilege and a blessing for me to stand before you and open God's Word uh, so that we can uh, dive into it together. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, if, could you open them with me to uh, the book of Philippians? We continue in our morning series, uh, Philippians chapter 3. You can, If you have a different translation or you don't have a Bible, you can... Follow along on the slide or in the bulletin. Uh, Before we um, hear God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his uh, Holy Spirit. Our Father, indeed, we rejoice in all that you have given to us and all that in who you are and what you've done for us. Father, as we open your word, uh, Lord, may, may it be sweeter to our lips than honey. Uh, Lord, may it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, may it be uh, uh, manna come down from heaven. Father, would you be with me? That the, uh, may the meditations of my, uh, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May it be a blessing to your people so that your word would not return unto you void without accomplishing all that you ordain it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus And put no confidence in the flesh. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. Uh, Sometimes we don't necessarily think about uh, life this way, but but there is a a subtle difference, a subtle yet profound difference between what we normally think of happiness and joy, uh, particularly uh, in in. In light of what the Bible teaches, happiness comes from the idea of fortune, right? That our our happiness, the emotions that go with it, the kind of experience uh, deep in our hearts, uh, rises and falls with our fortune. So when our fortunes are good, our happiness rises. But when our fortunes are bad, our happiness falls. And we fall into despair and we become downtrodden. Uh, We we, we think that life is uh, not the way that we'd like it for it to be. And so we lose heart uh, about our circumstances. And so happiness uh, is based almost entirely on the circumstances in which we find ourselves in. And so that makes happiness fleeting and very fragile. You know, when I have a dream job or the spouse that I've always dreamed of, then I'm happy, right? But when I lose my job or my life isn't turning out the way that I had hoped or envisioned, then I'm not happy and I'm depressed, That's kind of 
the way that happiness uh, works in our, our lives. It's, happiness is all about my, my happenstance. But joy is different, uh, at least in the Bible. True joy isn't based on our circumstances. It's not based on whether things go my way or not. It's not dependent on happenstance. True, lasting joy, especially for the Christian, transcends circumstances. It's grounded in the redemption that we have in the gospel. It's based on the joy that we have in Christ, the joy of our salvation and everything that comes with it. It's a joy that is based on God's free gift of grace to us and not on what we do or what we achieve. And this is why joy transcends our circumstances because it's not based in our circumstances, but it's based wholly upon what Jesus has done for us, not in what we do for him. And this is what our passage is all about. We rejoice in the Lord because we are saved by grace to glory not in ourselves, but in Christ alone. And so what does Paul teach us then about rejoicing in the Lord? First, we need to always be reminded to rejoice in the Lord because we always forget. We always forget to rejoice in the Lord. After giving us two examples of gospel uh, humility and service in Timothy and Epaphroditus, that's what we, we looked at um, the past several weeks. And here in verse one, he, he um, concludes this whole section about humble service uh, and he works on circumstances. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. All right. Two things here about rejoicing in the Lord. First, it means rejoicing in the Lord as the source of our joy. Right. He is the fountain of our joy, the reason for our joy. Our joy begins and flows from knowing him and being found in him. And second, it means rejoicing in the Lord not only as the source of joy, but as the object of our joy. We rejoice in Him, not in someone else, not in something else. And this is really important because true and lasting joy is tied to what we place our joy in. You guys ever thought about that? Like when, when, you're, when, you, when you're rejoice about something, uh, our, our, our joy is tied to that something. Like faith, our joy depends on the object of our joy. It rises and falls with whatever we put our joy in, whatever we find our joy in, whatever we rejoice in. And so if we rejoice in our circumstances, then if and when those circumstances change, so will our joy. Our happiness rises and falls with the rise and fall of our fortunes in any given circumstance. It's like tying our happiness to, to, to uh, the stock market, right? When it's up, we're up. When it's down, we're down. And, um, and we've had enough cycles in our lifetimes where when it's down, it's really down. Um, and when it's up, it's really up. And, and so we feel like we're riding a roller coaster. Joy one day, depression the next. But if we rejoice in the Lord who does not change, 
If we rejoice in the Lord who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is the father of lights with whom there's no shadow of turning, no shadow of change, then guess what? When we tie our joy to an unchanging God, then our joy will be unchanging. And this is important because it's so easy for us to tie our joy to something other than the Lord. It's so easy for us to tie our joy to something that's here today but gone tomorrow. Like faith, we can place our joy on sand. And then when, when our circumstances become dire, the, when the winds and the waters rush in and, and it floods our life, then our joy can wash away. Uh, and, and it could be gone, right? Like the hymn says, you know, um, if we build our lives on the solid rock of Christ, then it will last. But if not, then it's sinking sand. And this is why our joy in life can seem so fragile and fleeting. We base our joy in our circumstances that can change, like the seasons, like the wind, um, in some parts of the country, there's, there's sayings, you know, when I lived in Boston, you know, uh, if you don't like the weather, just wait a few minutes, you know, and that's the way our circumstances can be, right? If our circumstances are good, just wait a few minutes and they'll change, right? Or if you don't like your circumstances, wait a few minutes and maybe they'll get better or maybe they'll get worse. So when they change for the worse, we definitely lose our joy. We can fall into despair and depression. Why? Because we put our joy in something that can change um, and can be taken away or lost. Just like our treasure, right? The, when Jesus says, you know, uh, store up treasures for yourself in heaven where no, no uh, thief can steal, no moth can eat, no rust can, can eat away. But when we put our joy, when we rejoice, not in our circumstances, not in something or someone else, but in an unchanging, ever-faithful God, then we will always rejoice in him, no matter the circumstances. So when we're lost and lonely, rejoice in the Lord who promises to never leave us nor forsake us, but will always be with us to the very end. When we're struggling with anxiety because we don't know what tomorrow brings, we feel like everything is out of control, rejoice in the Lord who knows the end from the beginning, uh, who has ordained all things to come to pass according to his good providence and wisdom, that not even a hair on your head will fall without his divine permission, that all things work together for the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose, that he who did not uh, spare his one and only son, how will he then not give you all things that you need? Put, rejoice in the Lord who is sovereign over all and is in absolute control of your life. Or when we're struggling with anger and we're snapping at our husband or wife or kids or, or friends or coworkers or neighbors, then rejoice in the Lord who is kind and compassionate, gracious and merciless, slow to anger, uh, and woos us with his love and his mercy, with his grace. Who, Jesus, who, like Jesus, speaks to us gently and kindly. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who, who is, is, uh, is not angry with us as a judge, 
He can discipline us, but he will never be angry with us uh, without his love. And then, therefore, we can, we can experience, when we experience that, that love of grace from our Heavenly Father, then it melts our hearts. It, it, it melts the anger um, from our hearts so that we can be more compassionate, more kind to those around us. And this is the truth that we so easily and often forget, don't we? This is why Paul says, uh, in the rest of verse one, he says to write the same things. Right? Paul, Paul is under. He, Paul is saying, "I'm writing to you again this same thing," as if he has to remind them over and over again. And he says, "Is no trouble to me. I'm glad to tell you it again. Right? I'm a minister of the gospel, so I should preach the gospel. You know, in season and out of season, over and over again, uh, and is safe for you." And what that means is that it's, it's always better for you to hear the same truth because we forget it. You know, very much like, um, like a parent who knows that we have short, like, like we have a child who has ADHD and you know that they're going to forget the moment you, you tell them to do something, they're going to forget it, right? Don't, um, don't run with scissors. <laughs> and you just kind you know, you have to tell them over and over again, don't run with scissors, don't run with a sharp object. And, um, and that's the way it is for Paul, for the Philippians, for God, for us. We have, to, we have to hear those truths over and over again. God is glad to tell us over and over again, and it's safe for us, better for us to hear them over again. And, and we, we, we need to hear it over and over again because we constantly suffer from what um, uh, Paul Tripp calls gospel amnesia. Right? We forget the gospel and we end up rejoicing uh, in, not in the Lord, but in, in ourselves, in our circumstances, in what we have or, or what we need and not in the Lord. And so uh, that's what we need to, to remember. We need to remember that. Um, secondly, we also need to remember, uh, we, need to be remem- we need to beware of those who would keep us from rejoicing in the Lord. And included in the reminder is a warning. See, he, what he's doing here is he's saying, rejoice in the Lord, and I'm going to tell you again, and it's better for you, right, to rejoice in the Lord. And then watch out for these folks who are going to keep you from rejoicing in the Lord. We're going to keep, they're going to rob you of your joy in the Lord. Look at verse two. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who would mutilate the flesh. Now, these are all references to, uh, to, to, to the teachings possibly that are circulating in these churches. And Paul is warning them as a prophylactic, you know, kind of, uh, kind of vaccinating them against the virus of legalism and of Judaizing, right? This, the reason why he wrote uh, Galatians. And it's ironic that Paul calls these false teachers who proclaim a false gospel, why he calls them dogs. Because they are, because in, in, during that time, it was the Jews who called the Gentiles dogs. 
that was a common reference to Gentiles because they were unclean. They uh, ran around uh, dirty and, and, and they were mangy and they ran around in packs, normally in like villages and kind of uh, where people are, and they would dig through uh, the trash and garbage try to try to find food. Uh, during that time, it, they were one of the most unclean animals that you could think of. And so, the, so it was an epithet that Jews would use against the Gentiles. And here, it's ironic that Paul uses the same language against them. As if he's saying, well, the real dogs, the real ones who are unclean and mangy and eat garbage are the Jews who... Jews who make Gentiles uh, become Jews in order to be saved. In or, that in order for, they, would, they taught that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they have to be circumcised. They have to follow the Mosaic law. And so it, it becomes Jesus plus something that we do and you'll be saved. And when you do that, when you add anything to the gospel, Jesus plus something ends up negating the whole thing. Jesus plus something, anything, anything that you do, anything that you've done, equals nothing. You just, you negate it, you short circuit God's grace. But the gospel of, of grace alone and Christ alone, by faith alone, is that Jesus plus nothing, nothing that you do, nothing in you, is everything. It is, such, it is such an important truth, friends, brothers and sisters, that, that God's free grace is, is, a, is, is a free gift that you receive and you don't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything to merit it. Uh, and if you, if you, and so Paul is referring to these Judaizers, these legalists who would, who would tell uh, Gentiles that they had to become Jews in order to be be saved, he, he, he says, if, if me, if I, or an, even an angel from heaven, or any other person teaches you a gospel other than the one that I originally taught you in the book of Galatians, Paul says, let them be accursed. Let them be condemned. And, and those are strong words. And, it, and, and what Paul is doing here is he's calling out the evil of that false gospel for what it is. And he calls them evildoers. To bind the law of God so that it would, they would add it onto the shoulders of Christians in order to be saved is an act of evil. Let them be accursed. Uh, Paul refers to them in Galatians. Why is that so important? Because if you do anything to be, if you do anything to contribute to your salvation, then it is no longer by grace, but rather it becomes by works. That God saves you because you did something, however small or minuscule it may seem, you add your works to God's grace. And when you try to add anything to God's grace, what you are really doing is canceling it out. 
You're not saying I don't, you're saying I don't really trust God to save me. I need to do something to add to what God has done to save me. And in doing that, you're saying God really didn't, isn't, can't, God isn't up to it. I need to help God help me to save myself. That's what we're saying when we add anything to the gospel of grace. It's like taking a, a perfect masterpiece and trying to make it a little bit better. And in doing that, you ruin the whole thing. Have you ever done that? Like you, you're like, it's like, oh, this is perfect. It's, it's just right. And then you, you're like, you, know, you just feel a little, you, know, you try to fix it. And then you just ruin the whole thing. By definition, the gospel saves us by the perfect finished work of Christ, which we receive as a free gift of grace by faith, trusting that it is enough to save us fully and completely. And so to add to anything to it on our part is to say, it's not good enough. We may not say that, but if we, if we think that we have to do something uh, so that God would save us, however small it might be, even if it's something like circumcision, right? just taking, cutting off a little piece of, of, of skin from a part of the body, and just something as seemingly little as that, it, we're, 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 telling, we're saying that, that God, God's grace is not enough for us, that, God, that Christ's work isn't finished, and we need to add to it. Christ's work isn't perfect, and so we need to do something to, to help God help us, uh, save us. And to do that, we just, we negate it all. It's a false gospel, which and Paul says in Galatians is no gospel at all. It's a denial of the free grace of God's, uh, of God's uh, salvation. It's a denial of the finished work of Christ. Everything he did, everything he suffered uh, and died to accomplish for us and we reject it all out. And it keeps sinners from the salvation that Christ offers us. And so, of course, they are evildoers. And then he goes on and he, and, and he gets to the, the specifics of probably what these uh, people are teaching, uh, requiring Gentiles to be circumcised. Uh, Paul calls it, for what it is, a mutilation of the flesh. This is a strong language. He doesn't use the word uh, for circumcision. He uses mutilation. And that's the point. If you, if in the Old Covenant, in the, in the Old Testament, God commanded um, men who are in the covenant, born into the covenant people of God, to be circumcised as a, an Old Testament sign of being circumcised in the uh, of, of the foreskin uh, represents the circumcision of the heart. But when you, but because Christ came and fulfilled all the law, because now the salvation that we have uh, is once for all um, accomplished in the sacrifice of Christ, there needs to be no more shedding of blood for the remission of sins because Jesus' shedding of blood was perfect and finished. And so to, to go back to the old covenant and, be, and require Gentiles to be circumcised, uh, it's not circumcision the way that God had intended in the Old Testament. It's a mutilation of the flesh. 
And the point is that we have to beware then of these dogs, these evildoers, these who would call people to mutilate the flesh. And in essence, it's to beware of works righteousness, of works religion, where we have to do something to save ourselves. Because when we are our own saviors, and here's the connection here with rejoicing in the Lord, is that if we are the ones who have to save ourselves, then we are going to try and rejoice in what we do. And the Bible tells us that we will always fall short of the glory of God. We will always fall short of the perfection that God requires. And our, whatever joy we may find in ourselves is fleeting. And we will never be good enough. And we will fail. We can never really truly have a joy in, in what we do in saving ourselves. We will always fall short. So the question is, who should we rejoice in then? Right? How do we then really rejoice in the Lord? Uh, and to beware of these false teachers, then now Paul tells us, well, here's how you rejoice in the Lord. Here ought to be uh, your reason for joy, your foundation for joy, your source of joy. We not only remember to rejoice in the Lord and beware of those who would rob us of a joy, but to rejoice in knowing that we are saved by grace, not by works. He, we are in Christ. We are in the gospel. And he tells us who we are. This is what we have to rejoice in and what we have to remember. Look at verse 3. We are the real circumcision, Paul says. Right? And as, as I mentioned, it was a, the, 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 the physical circumcision in the Old Covenant was a sign of the inner circumcision of the heart. Uh, Paul, Paul says in, in, um, uh, sorry, in, in Deuteronomy 10.16, God commanded his people through Moses to circumcise the foreskin of your hearts, Deuteronomy 10, 16. And this is the Old Testament language of regeneration, right? Of being born again, where God replaces our dead hearts for new ones, where he cuts off, cuts off the, the foreskin of our hearts uh, to make our hearts anew. And, and this is why Paul goes on to say in Galatians six fifteen that in the new covenant, um, that circumcision uh, fades away as a sign because the reality has come. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In Romans 2, Paul puts it this way, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. So we are regenerated by grace to worship the Lord by his spirit. So, so the real circumcision is the work of the Holy Spirit uh, causing us to be born again to new uh, life in Christ and, and we are re- regenerated to rejoice in the Lord. And when we rejoice in the Lord, we worship in the Lord by his spirit. And, and because God in Christ has done all the work of salvation in the gospel, we have nothing to boast in. 
We have nothing to glory in as if we did anything to contribute to our salvation. So we glory, and that's the language here, right? To glory, glory in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves. Everything that he did for us in living a perfect life, the life that we could not live, and dying a perfect death bearing our sin, dying in our place, we glory in him who bore them in his own body, taking the penalty and the punishment that we deserved. That in the gospel, when we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, we are, Paul says in Colossians 2.11, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This means we glory and boast not in what we do, not in our circumstances, but we glory and boast in what Jesus has done. And this is really what it means to glory in Christ. By it's, it's what we glory in, boast in, because we do not put confidence in our own flesh, in what we have done. It means putting all of our confidence for salvation and life and everything else in Christ and not in ourselves. And this is what it means then to be saved by grace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. That's the language of glory. God chose the foolish things, the low, the low things to despise, uh, that despised by the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Then he goes on to say, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This morning I want to ask you, what are you boasting in for your life? What is it that you are so, what you glory in, what you're proud, most proud of in your life, what you talk about with your friends and your family. If anybody were to ask you to talk about something, what is it that you would talk about the most? What is the most, the first thing that comes into your heart uh, when, you, when someone talks to you? What are you boasting in as the source and object of your joy? for your salvation. What you boast in is really what you trust in, not only for joy, but for your salvation. So are you glorying in your earthly status, in your achievements, or in your gifts? The Christian cannot boast because Jesus did it all. So you, we can't put confidence in, our, in ourselves, in our flesh. And I love the hymn that we're going to sing in just a few moments. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, 
O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Friends, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your circumstances, because we are saved by grace, not by anything that we have done. Worship by the Spirit of God, glory in what Jesus has done, and put no confidence in your flesh. Next week, we're going to look at in more detail Paul's own autobiography of how he put his confidence in his own flesh and learned to glory in Christ. And may we begin to understand that for our own lives so that now when you know that you have been saved by grace, nothing that you can do can add to it or take it away. You can then rejoice in the Lord, no matter the circumstances. And what we're going to see later on in chapter 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Why? Because our, our joy in the Lord transcends our circumstances. And so no matter how hard our life can be, no matter what we suffer, no, no matter what we lose, no matter the tears we cry, underneath it all, we can still rejoice in the Lord because we have been saved by grace. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in everything that you've done. Help us then to see the ways in which we don't rejoice in you and point us then in the way so that we can rejoice in you. We ask, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.